Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Does what you eat really make a difference in the arteries of your heart? How important is it to control cholesterol and what's the best way to do that before you have a heart attack? How about after and to prevent the next one? Well, Dr. Margot Vassar is in the studio. She is a clinical cardiologist and expert in heart disease. And today we're going to talk about cholesterol, the good, the bad, and even the ugly, since honestly, in the blood, it's not very pretty. But first, we're going to hear about a program to help provide funds to care for the elderly. It's a novel type of social insurance, so to speak. It's the first of its kind nationwide. And why might it be important? Well, we're all going to get old someday, and this is one way that we can help protect the costs of actually to cover the costs that we might all incur and protect people from spending their assets if they don't have to, to cover for care for their loved ones. So here to tell us more, we have Kathleen Jaycox. She's the vice president for laity for FACE. That stands for Faith Action for Community Equity, a non-denominational group that's trying to do some good stuff here and everywhere to really try and figure out how we can help care for our kapuna because it is not an easy task. So first we'll talk with you, Kathleen. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. So, you know, we're all going to get old someday. and I hope. Well, let, that's true. <laughs> that is a gift. We have to consider that. And, you know, I've got, I've got parents on the mainland and I've got a mother in the midst of a crisis currently right now. And, you know, so the big issue that comes up is how do you pay for long-term care? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have long-term care insurance or if you didn't get it and or it's too late anyway because you need the long-term care, very often it's either a spouse or all the assets that the individual may have that have to be spent to pay for care before any other type of social program like Medicaid kicks in. And a lot of kids, whether they be middle-aged or younger, wind up having to spend a lot of their own money to help their parents with care. And in some cases, there's a reason because they don't want to sell the house, the kids live there. In other cases, it's, you know, altruistic, they just want to help out. But parents often don't want to be a burden. And we see in our community a lot of seniors who stay at home, who don't have access to services, who just can't afford it. They're living on fixed income, Social Security, et cetera. What can be done to help them? There's this novel idea. Tell me more about it. Okay. Well, um, we're here because uh, there is a, a there are companion bills in the legislature, um, House and Senate, uh, to try to provide this uh, fund for long-term care insurance. And um, I won't go into the whole legislative uh, background about what's going on there, but the, the premise of what the bill would provide would be uh, it would ab- allow uh, an individual up to $70 a day for a total of 365 days, and those don't have to be consecutive days, um, for care. And uh, as you pointed out, um, this is obviously not intended to offset the cost of uh, uh, nursing homes or nursing much homes. more than that. Right, exactly. But uh, at home, currently, um, uh, like a health aid at home runs about $25 an hour. So $70 a day would at least pay for close to three hours of um, care at home. Um, or if uh, if a, a person were able to go to... Um, adult daycare, 
the $70 would totally cover the cost of adult daycare every day. So let's think about this from logistics. So let's say that somebody gets discharged from the hospital and maybe they need adult daycare. Maybe they shouldn't be home alone Mm -hmm. or maybe their kids work and they can't take off any more time from work to take care of mom or dad or auntie, uncle, et cetera. So, So this person now might have the ability to have some money to help cover for a health aide to come in for a few hours a day to do some of the things that they can't do on their own, whether it be cooking or cleaning or getting dressed or showering, bathing, et cetera. Right. They get this money at their disposal to spend on care services. Right. Do they have to be old? No. Um, and in fact, I'm glad you asked that question because... Because it's rude for me to say old when I mean <laughs> well, just we realize aged that, at 65. Well, no, not even. It doesn't have to have anything to do with age. So um, age and As we see many times here in Hawaii... Um, an automobile accident or a boating accident or somebody's hiking and they fall off the mountain. Um, a lot of times young people end up with the need for somebody to help somebody them at home take care of and them. sure a relative right. might not be available. So age independent, so, right. this could be a way to provide funds. Right. Now you said it would cover for a few hours of a home health aid. It would cover for adult daycare for some of the adult daycare mm-hmm. centers. Mm-hmm. What else would it cover for? What can $70 a day buy you, and does it go up with inflation? Good, two good questions. The other, besides uh, those kinds of care costs, the other thing that that money could go toward would be like making adaptations to the house. So if you need to install a ramp, uh, if you need um, a high-rise toilet instead of a regular... So if insurance doesn't necessarily cover for you to install a ramp, but you don't want to leave your house, this could be a way to help keep you in aging in place, we call it, sort of not having to leave your environment in order to still be successful and be able to live there. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And and as to your second question, yes, the the, uh, way the bill is uh, worded, uh, this would increase with inflation. So 10 years from now, it's not going to be $70. It right. could be something greater. Right. The anticipation being that costs would go up for all these various right. services. Right. So in order to receive the services, you couldn't just right. sign up immediately and get it. No. You kind of have to be someone who pays taxes for a certain number of years, have to have some type of employment history so that you had paid into Actually, there's there's good news even there because you don't necessarily have to have paid taxes in Hawaii, but you do have to have filed Hawaii taxes. I see. Okay. So uh, because a lot of seniors who, if if all they get is uh, a a pension or uh, Social Security, they aren't necessarily paying taxes in Hawaii, income taxes. But as long as they're filing, they're filing it. um, And and the way the uh, bill is set up, the idea would be that. it would be, uh, you would have to have filed for uh, at least 10 years to, to get the full benefit of the bill. If you had only been filing for five years, you'd only be eligible for half the benefit. But it wouldn't so. start like in one year, you would get one-tenth of the benefit. Like we're talking a long-term fund From. that is going to be put in place. Right. And the money might come from, a I think, a half percent increase in the general excise tax. Right which a lot of people go, oh, no, somebody else trying to increase the GET. But a lot of times we don't realize about a a half to, not a half, I would say, what, 30-some percent of the GET is paid by tourism dollars. Exactly. So this is another way to expand the coverage for the elderly who live in this beautiful place that is increasingly becoming more expensive 
because we have a highly tourism industry. Right. So they get a benefit. Yeah. The legislature um, a few years ago uh, had a committee that looked into this whole issue of long-term care, and the committee did a report. And the report said, you know, one thing that the Hawaii definitely needs is some form of long-term care insurance. And so then that committee um, appointed uh, Dr. Larry Nitz from the University of Hawaii to basically be the number cruncher to look at well, what might be different ways to fund it? Should it be an income tax? Should it be an employer tax? Should it be GET? And uh, basically, to sum up his research, um, the GET at a half percent is kind of the least painful way to get the most useful benefit. <laughs> okay. I mean, because I can see the variety of different... Anytime something is proposed as a change, we have to consider. And the other caveat is, and how would this be funded? Because the way things happen now is that if you have a lot of money and you get older, gently older, then if you need care, you can pay for it. If you have no money at all and you need care, hopefully, the the state will cover these costs and will help you with some things when you get to the point where you can't live alone and you need to be in a nursing home. But the huge gap is the people who have some money but not enough to pay for care, the people who don't yet need to be institutionalized or put in a nursing home facility that don't necessarily have all those needs but also don't have enough money to pay for a home health aid. It's almost like waiting for disaster to happen before they actually qualify to go into a nursing home. And that's that's sort of the standstill that we've kind of been at for a while. Right. And the, um, you know, the unfortunate thing is that it's not just the issue of the patient, whether that's grandma or grandpa or a young person. Um, it's the issue of the, the caregiver themselves um, helping that person because, you know, as you mentioned earlier, what often happens is, um, okay, I get a phone call and mom has fallen at home and broken her hip and she's been in the hospital and now I have to bring her home. And, um, and you're working full time. And I'm working full time. So what am I going to do? Right. And uh, so now there's a lot of stress on me and my family. And if I have kids too, then it, I, you know it's like I'm just it's pulled in multiple generation. directions. You're, right. And um, so this way, you know, this money would at least be some cushion so that I could continue to work. Um, and you know, I, there'd be some money to, for a, a, a caregiver to come sure, in even a, for a, a few, few hours, hours a day. Right. And, and ultimately then that impacts my own work situation, because if I would have to stop working, then not only am I losing the income from working, but I'm sort of derailing myself from progress, um, uh, toward whatever and toward my own retirement benefits. And then the, the, the situation is even worse. Which is, yeah. sure, if you look at it historically, Social Security was originally designed because there were situations where the elderly were, majority of them were living in poverty. And before the whole system was even created, it was to try and help those who were older who couldn't join the workforce to have some sort of way to pay their expenses, et cetera. And so this is sort of another way to expand how we can all almost like pay it forward in a way, because we're all going to get there at some point, hopefully, as you mentioned. (laughs) Well, it certainly sounds like a good novel idea. And I do hope that regardless of what happens politically, that we all take a look and understand that we are all getting older and we will all hit this point. And when we do so, 
we are going to wish that those who came before us were able to make some moves to help us as we get older. So it really is something we have to we have to take a close look at and hopefully look at. It's a brand new type of social insurance, shall you call it. But it's for everybody. It's not necessarily just for certain groups. And it, it sounds like it would be an interesting way to change the 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 concept we have right now, which is if you get older and you can't take care of yourself, that's unfortunate for you. Mm-hmm. And there's not that huge safety net that we wish we had. Well, and I think that one of the, the most important things that you're doing by having this conversation today is to encourage people to have those conversations within their families. Because I think you hit the nail on the head there a minute ago. We just don't talk about it. And then all of a sudden, we're in it. We're in oh, this situation. You are preaching to the choir, my friend. <laughs> I know and, all And so if, if more families, just as a result of hearing you today, start to have these conversations, just think I think that's it. a great right. thing. What are we going to do if yeah. mom ever needs care? That's what right. are we going to do if, you know, dad's also older and he can't do it? How do we, and, and lots of people here have elderly parents here, or if they have elderly parents on the mainland or various different things. All of this is something that as a nation we have to take a look at. How do we care for those who are the most most vulnerable? Right. And that includes the elderly, children, the poor. That includes a variety of different areas. And we need to socially be conscious about that. So thank you so much well, for coming on and explaining a little bit about it. That is Kathleen Jaycox, and she is the Vice President for Laity for FACE, the Faith Action for Community Equity group here in town and in support of trying to find a way to help care for our Kapuna. So I want to thank you for being on today, and hopefully we'll hear more great things about what's happening in the care of our seniors soon. Thank you. All right, we're going to shift gears a little, but sort of. We're going to be talking about health, and we're going to be talking to Dr. Margot Vassar about cholesterol, because in order to make it to those senior years so we can actually require benefits as we get older, we need to be able to avoid having the most common cause of death in the United States, which year to year varies from atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or cancer. And it's like vying for number one or two each year. And currently we're looking at atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, heart attacks and strokes, people. So we're going to be talking a little bit about how important is cholesterol and does that matter at all? And is that something that we have to worry about? So when we come back, we're going to be talking with Dr. Margo Vaster. But if you have a question about cholesterol and you want to know, because there's a lot that I want to know, we have a open phone line. You can give us a holler at 941-3689, toll-free 877-941-3689. When we come back, we're going to demystify the cholesterol paradox. Hold on and stay with us. We'll be back. New Letters on the Air revisits Kai Wright's anthology, The African American Experience, to talk about black history and culture through political speeches. One of the interesting things about Obama is this using the rhetoric of reform in the African American political oratory tradition and now changing it into something that is the voice of power. Kai Wright also talks about Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King Jr. on New Letters on the Air. Tuesday evening at 6.30. On Saturday, February 27th, in HPR's Atherton studio, pop jazz vocalist Dana Land pays tribute to our favorite crooners, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, Mel Torme, and more. Backed by an A-list of Hawaii musicians led by pianist Tommy James, this is a concert you won't want to miss. Tickets at hprtickets.org or call 955-8821 during business hours. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership. Wealth Management. 
Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with my star for the evening, Dr. Margot Vassar. She is part of the Queen's Heart Physician Practice. She specializes in clinical cardiology and echocardiography. And she is a huge proponent of preventative action before you get heart disease. And why is this important? Because it's one of the number one and or two, depending on the year, causes of death in the United States. And we'd like to avoid that. So we want to get a little proactive and preventative. Now, as always, if you have cholesterol concerns, I'm going to tell her that she can answer them. Put her in the spot there. Let's hope. And you can join us at 941-3689. Toll free, 877-941-3689. But let's talk first. Dr. Vassar, how bad is cholesterol for me? Is cholesterol the cause of blockages? And and am I in a lot of trouble? Because I like a lot of foods that have cholesterol. They taste good. Well, you know, um, um, cholesterol is actually necessary for life. So if there weren't cholesterol in your body, you'd be in big trouble. Um, it's very, it's key to brain development in utero and um, every cell in the body contains a little bit of fat. A lot of cell processes, a lot of body processes wouldn't happen without cholesterol presence. So cholesterol in and of itself, like many things, is not a bad thing. It's just when we become in excess of certain components of it that, that problems problems start to happen. So let's talk about those components because a lot of folks kind of understand the total, the good cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, the triglycerides. I call it like the good, bad, and the ugly. Because <laughs> if you've ever seen, and most people haven't, but if you've ever seen blood spun down in one of those tubes that they collect your blood in, when your triglycerides are high, it looks all gross and ugly. Right. So good, bad, and ugly. So tell me about the different types of cholesterol and and what those are. Sure. Um, well, we'll start with the good, because that, that goes along with the HDL, or high-density uh, lipoproteins. Those are believed to act as the arterial clean cleaners. So the, that's the number that's typically the lowest of the three. However, the higher your, your good cholesterol or HDL is, typically the better off we've always thought you were. Um, next, the LDL or the low density lipoprotein that's also known as the bad cholesterol, or you can think of this as the lousy, um, since it's an L. That is the more the bad guy. So when, when you think about blockages in your arteries and your heart arteries and your brain arteries, wherever they might be, those are typically cholesterol-laden packs. They're full of that LDL, that bad cholesterol. Kind of got stuck there. Kind of got stuck there. Just didn't get cleaned out. It found a new home and it doesn't yeah. want to leave. And the body actually kind of tries to heal over it. And then once it gets in there, it kind of just ferments and, and, and causes more badness. Okay. Um, then the ugly, the triglycerides, and they are ugly. Um, you know, whenever you go to get your cholesterol checked and you're told to go fasting, it's really because of those triglycerides. Uh, we know following food, it varies a lot. If you sit down and eat, you know, a nice slice of cheesecake or something like that, it Why do is... you torture me around dinner time? <laughs> Why know. must you do that? Now I... I'm craving cheesecake. Because I'm hungry too. <laughs> I'm with you. Gotcha. All right. 
Um, amazingly, if you checked your cholesterol, if you just checked your blood before and after, um, the, I don't think I'd be brave <laughs> enough. I'll be honest. You know, your lipids will more than quadruple or your triglycerides more than quadruple. Quadruple. Yeah. Easily. Easily. So if it's like <laughs> supposed to be less than 150 and you go heading into Waikiki to Cheesecake Factory, because of course that's where I'm getting cheesecake and I eat that whole slice, which probably could feed four. Then my triglycerides, if they were, let's just say they're at, you know, 150, they could go up to 600. Yeah, probably even higher. I, I And I, I I know that specifically because uh, some attendings of mine in my training when I was at University of Maryland did just that, followed, tracked blood test after a big I, I mean, meal after, of something. Um, a big meal at a restaurant that happens wow. to serve, serve cheesecake, and wow. and they and they saw you know some four digit values. So that's temporarily. Uh, obviously, your body starts to process this. But the triglycerides they serve as an important energy source for certain organ systems, and they also do play a role uh, in the body. So those so are your components. So what if what if I go exercise after my after my cheesecake <laughs> meal? Like how long would it take me to burn off? quadruple triglycerides. I mean, just don't eat for hours at a time. I mean, I'm just, my mouth is open and not because it's full of cheesecake because I, I would think they would double maybe quadruple. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how much cheesecake they were feeding these people. Um, um, uh, well, obviously too much. So one bite, everything in moderation, we're good. Absolutely. You know, 20 absolutely. bites later and uh, that's not a good scene in my arteries. <laughs> All right. We've got a caller. We've got, oh, I'm scared. We've got Carrie on the line from Makiki. Carrie, welcome to the body show. Hi. Well, oh, we are um, here talking yeah, about um, cholesterol, and I'm scared to death. You... Hello? <laughs> yes, we're here. I was wondering if you could tell me, um, uh, compare uh, cholesterol versus saturated fat, because I understand you can be a vegan and still consume saturated fat in the form of, say, coconut. Can we eat unlimited amounts of coconut, or is that bad like cholesterol is because it becomes solid? Well, the thing about taking in fats, um, the more fat you take in, and and certainly saturated fats are the are the biggest you know bad guys out there. Uh, your body will create will create more cholesterol. Um, oh. like I mentioned, you know, cholesterol is necessary for body processes. So your mm-hmm. liver, that's one of your jobs. One of your liver's jobs is to make cholesterol. If you have a very high fat intake um, of these, uh, you know, very high saturated uh, fat intake, your body's going to make more cholesterol. So you potentially could start making cholesterol in, in excess of what your body needs. Okay, thanks for telling me. I had a feeling I might have been eating too much coconut milk, so I'll ease off on that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and I mean, and, and everybody's metabolism's a little bit different. Everybody's bodies are a little bit different, but definitely, you know, if you haven't gotten an actual cholesterol check, you, oh no, my cholesterol within a reasonable level, I think it's one seventy or something, one sixty five. I last time I checked, but could be better. I got. I should. I should watch the, the coconut. I think that's my only source of oh. saturated fat. <laughs> I'm not eating dairy anymore. Again, yeah, I think all things in in in, such, in, in moderation is the key with with, with um, any, any all all kinds of fats, really. Well, and Carrie, you brought up you know you're a vegan, and so you're not getting any type of animal products, which right. is definitely healthier in general. We hear about 
you know, the Mediterranean diet. We hear about a plant-based diet because we know that those are better sources to get some of the nutrients for our foods, for our bodies, and they're healthier overall. So I give you kudos for being a vegan. I think that's totally awesome. And, you know, you got to well, get... two years, not forever, but... Well, you know, but two, <laughs> years, for two years is wonderful. I went vegetarian about two years ago, and I'm so happy that dessert is vegetarian for the most part, but I have not gotten wild and gone vegan. And I give you credit because that means milk and cheese and eggs. Well, there's and still a lot of good food. There are. That I'm going to tell you... I love food, so believe me, I wouldn't be doing this if there wasn't good stuff to eat. So no worries about that. But I'll I'll try to eat less coconut. I didn't realize that could cause my body to make cholesterol. That's kind of scary. Well, scary, but you're doing a lot of other good things. So good for you, and Thank kudos you. to working really hard. And one of these days, I'm going to get bold and like go vegan. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I I've, trust myself to do it. I've done it temporarily. Have you? Yeah. You survived. I, I survived and I hate to admit it, I felt great at the end of the, the different vegan trials that I've done. But yeah, it's the same thing. Eventually cheese is going to get me. Eventually a lot of things are going to get me. But um, mm. there is such, and, and you know, living in Hawaii, it's probably one of the best places to be a vegan because we've got That's these true. farmer's markets. We've got such great, you know, fruits and And wonderful restaurants and a lot of places mm-hmm. you can go that are not dead designated vegetarian or vegan, but actually you can find food there that qualifies. So, Absolutely. All right. So cholesterol, it can be in anything. And that's one of those misnomers. You know, people say, I don't eat cholesterol at all. Of course, I don't have high cholesterol. And yet your body makes cholesterol. And there's right. a genetic predisposition as well. Absolutely. So we can't just say it's what you're eating. Your liver also is the cholesterol synthesis factory. Mm-hmm. So that could also play a role. So let's talk about, you know, dietary things people can do. Are there any foods that lower cholesterol? Yes, you know, there are. And, um, you know, speaking of different kinds of fats, we know that these omega-3s, so the kinds of fats you find in nuts, in avocado, in um, wild-caught salmon, those are actually fats that, that through the mechanics of, of, of their metabolism, lower your bad cholesterol, help raise your good cholesterol. So the things you eat can help. Certainly, uh, diets that are higher in, in vegetables and fruits uh, will help lend, lend itself to your making less cholesterol, too. But you know. So let me throw some things out there. Oatmeal. Can it lower your cholesterol? Maybe not the kind with all the sugar. Right. I think, you know, I think there have been some studies that looked at your plain old Quaker oats, unsweetened. I think they got numbers like three or four points off okay. of your so cholesterol. Not so technically, yes, but okay. it's probably not going to, um, you know... You really know, part part of a healthy diet. It's a great way of incorporating in a part a part of a healthy diet, and you know, four points is better than no points. That's true. Now, what about plant sterols? That's sort of you know, there's this whole idea of there are margarines now, and people hear the word margarine and go, oh no. But there's ones that are based on these undissolvable parts of plants that are supposed to help lower cholesterol in your body. Do they work? Are they good? You know, so so. Yes. The answer is, is kind of two-part yes, and we don't entirely know. Yes, they do make your numbers better. Uh, they make your good cholesterol a little higher. They help lower your bad cholesterol. These plant sterols work. How this translates to a long-term risk of reducing heart attack and stroke. That part we don't know. You know, life life expectancy, that that we don't really know quite as much about. And um, but, but there's, you know, good good research behind them, and certainly they're, they're good alternatives. Red wine. <laughs> Red wine, 
yes, it will help raise You're your so cautious. Good You're like cholesterol. Yes, but <laughs> there's have, always a but, you I know. I have friends listening to me that I have to watch my words very closely um to, having to do with what I what I say about the wine. Yes, it will raise your good cholesterol. Uh, um alcohol in general are should be considered empty calories. So, um sort of getting back to our caller's question you know, if it doesn't matter what you're eating, if you're consuming too many calories, then it's going to be bad for you. Okay. And so what we know is typically if you're drinking wine or drinking alcohol with a meal, you will tend to ingest more calories, which can have, you know, negative long term effects. Uh, your serving of wine, which is typically four ounces. One serving for women a day, one to two servings for men a day. And that's kind of, you know, body size base. Um if you're going above that, then these benefits are going to be negated by the calorie intake, by the potential um, negative effects to your liver, by the ten- potential negative effects that alcohol has on the heart itself. So, so yes, um, it does look like red wine can be part of a healthy, a heart healthy diet. Yes, but no. <laughs> it's like this double answer. We've got this, this, this yes to everything, no to everything thing. All right, we've got Sarah on the line from Maui. Sarah, welcome to the Body Show. Hello. Oh, hi. Hi, Sarah. What can we do for you? Um, well, I'm. I was wondering. I'm 38 years old, and I've never had my cholesterol checked. But I'm starting to wonder. Maybe is it time to start doing that on a regular basis? My husband's 51, and I recently got him in to go uh, get his cholesterol checked, and we haven't gotten the results back yet. But I thought maybe in a show of solidarity, um, I should go find out as well. That's a great idea. I'm so impressed you got him to go check it. Good, good going. It took months. <laughs> well, and it's kind of ironic. You got him to do it, but you haven't checked yours. So I give you double credit because somehow you figured that one out. Good work. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Dr. Vassar, the CDC put out a guideline, what, about a year or so ago? Everybody yes. over 18 should have at least one fasting cholesterol measurement done. Yes. And then depending on the results, repeat it periodically based on what those numbers show. Precisely. So, so you're 20 years late for your first check. Eight? <laughs> don't let him hear you right now because then he will know you're late and the next time you want him to do something dare I say colon screening he'll never do it <laughs> so That's I'm funny. just throwing it out there that uh, go get it checked it's yes. a great idea and that way you know where you stand now if you have perfect numbers and everything's absolutely fantastic you don't have to do it every year but if your numbers kind of look like you could make a couple of improvements then you may want to check it in six months one year every two years depending on the results so yes it's time but good for you you got him in yes okay well i guess i'll go make an appointment to go get my cholesterol checked and at least know where things stand Right. And you know, while you're at it, the other thing that's recommended is to go ahead and do a fasting sugar because diabetes is another issue that we get worried about. And if it's a little on the borderline, that may also put you at risk for something. And it's so much easier to fix things when you're 38 than to fix it when you're 10 or 15 years older. So always good to do that. They'll check your blood pressure when you do that, I'm sure. And that's kind of the big three, blood pressure, sugar, cholesterol. You get those checked, you're doing good. You're already in the good position in the right place. And that's a blood test as well? Blood pressure is just a little cuff that they inflate on your arm, and that's that's something simple. Right, but yeah, the diabetes the, one, that's The sugar a, is a blood, blood test. That's yeah. a blood test as well? Yes, it is. Okay. 
All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been very informative. All right. Well, thank you for calling us, Sarah. I appreciate hearing from folks wanting to know what they should do. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Margot Vassar, and we are talking about cholesterol today, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if you've got a question about that, you can give us a holler, 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. So, Dr. Vassar, we've talked about cholesterol, foods that could maybe lower it, Foods in my fantasy world lower it, but really don't. Are there any supplements that can bring down the cholesterol? And then after that, we're going to talk about the medications that are out there. So let's talk supplements first. Sure. What could you get out there that might help you? Niacin? Good, bad? Um, yes, know, but no. <laughs> you know, niacin, there was a time we were really excited about niacin. Earlier in my life, I would give patients such whopping doses. It, it was a process, you know, to get them up to like two grams and, you know, the aspirin before, small snacks. And, and again, it helps make the numbers look better, but the actual long-term outcomes weren't as good. Um, over-the-counter, other over-the-counter red Red yeast. rice yeast or red yeast rice? Red, I yeah. mess it up all the time. I know. Red yeast rice. I, red rice yeast, I think it is. Um, that actually, you know, the active ingredient is a, essentially a statin. So it's the same active ingredient you have in your Lipitor, your your Crestor, these medicines. Um, the only problem with over-the-counter supplements is that they're not regulated or, or um, they're not regulated at really, all. At really. all. So your dose per pill, your dose per bottle is going to vary. So really getting any kind of regular... Um, coverage from something like that is it's it's less dependable. If folks have cholesterol numbers that are that are fine, that are adequate, and they're taking this and they it, it, they're happy with it, then you know I, I I don't change it. Once someone's had a heart attack, once someone's had a stroke, that puts them in a different category. So most of these over the counter supplements are are no are are, are really um, we, we don't know them to be to, to be as useful. Well, and I think for for a lot of folks, primary prevention means that you are preventing the first event. So whether it be heart attacks or strokes or whatever you're talking about, it's prevention for the primary event. Once you have an event, heart attack, stroke, otherwise, now you move into the secondary prevention. So, you know, the easier to remember it is you're trying to prevent a second one. And so things get a lot more serious if you've already had an event. Your risk for having another one goes up. The need to take prescription medicine goes up. A variety of different things change when you move from primary prevention to identifying yourself as a cardiac patient who's had a heart problem or a neurology patient who's had a stroke, although they're kind of somewhat related for a lot of situations. And now you're in a bigger risk category. So we kind of have to take things a little more seriously, get on top of things with medication, et cetera. I want to talk with Wayne from Mililani. Wayne, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I love the show. Thanks for calling us. What can we do for you? Um, I, you know, I had two questions. I'm just going to get the most important one out, and then I'll try to sneak the second one in if I get through. The We've first got one. time. Don't worry. Um, I like. I've always treated um, calories and fat um, with exercise. Like I've just done it, everything in excess, really excess food, so excess exercise. I was wondering if cholesterol can be dealt with kind of the same way, where I can kind of just. Um, you know, like eat mostly whatever I want and just kind of hope that exercise would get it, will take care of that. Is that, is that, can I, is, is that possible? Is it possible? It's a good question. You know, I mean, when you talk about excessive exercise, what do you mean by that? Like walking around the block probably wouldn't qualify, running 10 miles a day, now that might. So when you talk about eating what you want, but doing what you would call like sort of excessive exercise, what kind of exercise are you talking? 
Oh, I'm t- yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying maybe like, um, you know, nine, nine, ten miles every other day or, you know, like a good, like a good two hours every day. Yeah, that's a, I mean, and that's a really healthy amount. And so that sort of changes the, a bit of the parameters of your question. So, you know, Dr. Vassar, if somebody like Wayne is, you know, every other day, so that's like 30 miles a week or so, that's pretty darn good. He needs a certain amount of cholesterol and food in his diet to support the energy expenditure, right? Oh, absolutely. I remember, you know, hearing about Michael Phelps' average daily diet, and it just, you know... Blew your mind. Blew me blew me away. Um, so, so, Wayne, one of the words you said that really stuck out to me is that you hope that that works out okay. Um, are, are you telling us you haven't had your cholesterol checked uh, recently? No, no, no. And after uh, turning 31 and having a couple kids, I'm, yeah, it's kind of on my list. Absolutely. So, you know, as, as, um, we, we've mentioned earlier, your body makes cholesterol and some people are genetically predisposed to make too much cholesterol. And there's really no way looking at you typically that we'd be able to, to tell that. So they answered your question. Like my answer to everything is, Maybe it depends, um, but without knowing where your numbers are, it's 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 absolutely impossible to say whether what you're doing is enough or not. So you're certainly past that that age of, of primary screening. So we we both go get your go get it checked. Yeah, definitely go get it checked. See where you stand, and then and then from there you can you can you can figure out what else you may or may not need to do. So okay, like, I have one more real quick question. All um, right, you said it was processed um, in your liver, right? And um, what, does that is that going to be affected by somebody who drinks a lot? Like I, I'm, I'm, I drink excessively alcohol. I mean, and I was, I was wondering, is that something that's going to factor into how my body is processing the cholesterol? If your liver can't work properly, then a lot of downstream body functions um, don't work properly. So um, again, you know, it, and you can you can screen your liver function with some simple blood work also. So the answer to your question is possibly. Um, we do know in in stage liver disease that the, the your cholesterol is actually extremely low, um, but that's not a good. It's it's not low in a good way because you're you're no no longer even making the cholesterol that your body needs to have around. So if the liver is damaged, your metabolism of a lot of other things um, can can be off. Okay, Wayne. well, thank you so much. But I'm, I am going to tell my wife that um, I'm going to keep drinking to keep my cholesterol low then. Uh, Wayne, here's Whoa. what I want you to do. <laughs> thank you very much. I, I, you're, you're welcome, Wayne. But if you're still listening, I want you to take this one word out of your life. And the word is excessive. Because, <laughs> you know, you're 31, thank you, you got the kids. <laughs> Get your cholesterol checked. I love the exercise. I think yes. he's really doing a lot of good work. I mean, anybody who's doing that much, excellent. clearly their body's in good shape. Let's our, keep it that way. Yeah, and our first recommendation in, in managing all these things are lifestyle modifications. And he's doing it already. Exercise awesome. is one of them, but moderation the diet, the is another. kind of goes along with it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and kudos. You know, I don't know that many people that run nine or ten miles, you know, three times a week. That's That's pretty awesome. So... Good for you, Wayne. That's excellent. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Margot Vassar. We are talking about all things cholesterol today. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some of those medications, the ones most people have heard of called the statins. But we'll also talk about what else is new in the world of cholesterol. And are there some new things that are sort of targeting those folks who have that genetic problem with their cholesterol and Who needs that medicine and what does it do for you? As always, you can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 
3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Find out how Europeans view the refugee crisis at their doorstep. It's not like they didn't like their apartment and they want to flee to another country. They're being killed. They're being slaughtered. And hear how European nations are tackling the need to feed the world's hungry. The planet will not get any bigger. There will not suddenly be more water. Get an international view on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Margot Vassar, and she is working at the Queen's Heart Physician Practice Group. And we're talking today about cholesterol, and we're talking about how that affects your body, how it affects your heart. We just heard from a caller from Mililani who does an excellent amount of exercise, and how good is that for him? Fantastic. And things that he's going to hopefully do to keep himself healthy. We've got another caller on the line. We have Arash from Waikiki. Welcome to The Body Show. Hi, how are you guys doing today? Great. Good. How about yourself? Awesome. Thanks for taking the call. I have some questions. Uh, the conventional uh, medical advice has always centered itself on having a total cholesterol number of below 200. Um, I was wondering whether or not that number is going to be evolving into uh, another uh, value relative to what it takes to have a healthy brain. As you probably know, uh, and your guest knows that. Uh, Cholesterol and, and fats are very, very vital because the brain craves them. And I was wondering whether or not the 200 value is going to be evolving in any sense or any shape or form uh, based on the research that your guest has uh, been exposed to. It's a great question. And, you know, part of the, the conundrum is, is the total cholesterol really something that is the most important number? Because, you know, when we think about the cholesterol equation and, and – We'll talk about this for a minute. You know, your total cholesterol, if you were to just do this equation, is equal to your HDL or your good guys, plus your LDL or your bad guys, plus 20% of your triglycerides. And, you know, the only reason it's 20% is because 80% of your triglycerides are related to um, sugars or alcohols or at another source that is not necessarily cholesterol. So, you know, I've argued that the 200 is sort of it's a misnomer. It's it's sort of a total, but not really broken down to give people the accuracy of what type of cholesterol you want. You could have a total of 200 and have a good cholesterol of 25. And that means that your non-good cholesterol total is much higher than if you have a good cholesterol of like 75. So the actual number is, is sort of it's it's misleading in ways. And so I, I've kind of argued that that number doesn't accurately reflect what's going on. But you bring up another really good point, which is, hey, you know what? We need cholesterol to, and you mentioned that in the beginning of the show, Dr. Vasu, you said, you need it. Your body needs it. Cell processes require it. The brain nerve cells require it. Different parts of the body require it. So we really shouldn't expect it to go extremely low. People need this. Now, their liver can synthesize and make this from the foods that we eat, and we can eat cholesterol directly. Do you think that the 200 value, if we were to just look at it from a total perspective, is that enough? Are we going to lower it? And if so, how do we know how much our body really needs? I don't know if, I don't know if that information is out there. Yeah, and it's hard because, you know, different specialty groups are going to be looking at different um, issues. And it's, um, 
you know, it's too bad Dr. Salem isn't here because he could probably comment more on the brain uh, issues uh, like we were together last time. But um, we do know that guidelines are moving targets. None of them are hard and fast. And even in the last decade, we've seen what gold blood pressures should be. We've seen, you know, gold blasting blood sugars change over the years. And even most recently with cholesterol, our goals for treatment have changed. And in fact, the treatment guidelines no longer really involve hard and fast numbers. There are certain numbers we will initiate treatment at, but after that, we actually look more at the dosing of the, of the medicines themselves. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the absolute numbers and what our goals are change over time because, you know, that's part of the practice of medicine. So we're always learning more and we're always, always finding more information. From a cardiac standpoint, I don't foresee that in and of itself moving a whole, whole lot. But um, we are still le- learning. And certainly if there's another body system vying for for higher numbers, um, you know, e- everything is everything is subject to change. Well, and if we could just funnel all the cholesterol to the brain, you know, wouldn't that be great if it didn't oh, yeah. get stuck in the arteries in the way? <laughs> you know, but certainly a, a really good question. And, and that's something that everybody takes a look at. I look at the sprint trial that came out, what, October, November? The SPRINT trial was this great trial looking at hypertension, and they actually had to stop it early because what they found is in all age groups, and a lot of times we don't study people over 65, there's not as many or there's too many other variables, but they found all cause, any age, if your blood pressure, even though we used to say 140, 150 kind of okay, you can reduce your risks for heart attacks and strokes if you bring that blood pressure down to the 120 range. And that sort of blew us away in our hypertension treatment just this past fall. So as we learn more about cholesterol, I think we're going to learn more about what the latest is going to be. And it's really going to change what we do today with the ultimate goal being that we can help people to not have to suffer the consequences of these blockages, which, you know, get into the arteries and then they cause blood flow issues. If it's the artery to your kidney, you could have kidney problems. The artery to your eye, you could have eye problems. The artery to your heart, you can have heart problems. The arteries to your brain, you can have stroke problems. So we know that if cholesterol gets stuck in there, bad things could happen. Finding the absolute perfect number, I think it's, like you said, a moving target. It's a work in progress. All right. We've got Catherine on the line from Honolulu. Catherine, welcome to The Body Show. Oh, thank you. I had a question about high cholesterol. Um, I'm now 60, and when I was 30, my cholesterol was around uh, 211. Now it's at 266. My doctor's pressuring me to take a um, cholesterol medicine. Um, I'm not overweight. i vegetarian and I tried a vegan diet for three months and it didn't it reduced my cholesterol to 211 but it didn't go down very far so if my LDL is high but also my HDL is high the question is how should I be taking a cholesterol medicine well and that's a great question Catherine because the next topic we were going to cover is cholesterol medicine so so let's talk about Catherine's situation Dr. Vassar sure you know she's vegetarian Mm-hmm. She was vegan, vegetarian. We talked to a, somebody earlier who was vegan, and you know they're going to cut out some of the coconut. So, so that's something that they need to keep in, keep an eye on. When you hear about these totals, and let's presume that that Catherine's HDL is darn good mm-hmm. above sixty, and maybe it was also good when she was in her thirties, because those numbers are actually isn't everything like better when you're younger you get older, and it's harder to keep it that high. <laughs> so, in somebody who's had that kind of an increase. 
It sounds like her doctor's following the current mode of thinking, which is primary prevention. You are 60 years old. You are in the risk category for cardiovascular disease. Treat this with medication. But I'm sure you see people all the time, and you see a lot of people who've already had heart attacks. When you see people in this situation who are really resistant to medication for a variety of reasons, side effects, et cetera, muscle issues, sugar issues, their own concerns, how do you, how do we figure this out? I've got a bunch of Catherine's in my office. Sure. And one of the things that I've done, and you can tell me live on air if it's bad, and that'll be fun to learn, is, you know, I've actually, for a few folks, and I've had people with numbers like this, I've sent them to go do this test called a coronary artery calcium score. And if their score is zero literally zero, then I'm not in a rush to put them on medicine. If their score is anything but zero, then we've got to take a look and see where is the score the highest and what else can we do? And no, it doesn't mean soft plaque. So I'm kind of using this test as like an exclusion criteria Mm. to see if I can avoid having people who really don't want to take statins, who have no other risk factors, and they haven't yet had a heart attack to see if they can still go without them. And and some of the folks get a zero and some of them don't. How do you manage this situation? So um, let's see. I could take the uh, chicken answer and say I don't really typically have this situation because I'm mostly impatient and everyone I see has heart has disease. had a heart attack. Okay. So so it it, it changes that is my a chicken answer. So it's a total chicken answer. But um, again, I'm I'm really hungry. <laughs> okay, now you're craving chicken. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure that this is... Yes. Let me add, let me change this a little bit. Mm -hmm. Do you see people in the hospital who have heart attacks with normal cholesterol? Yes. Okay. So cholesterol is not the end of the story. No, no. I've had, I've had patients who are vegetarians who've had heart attacks. I've had patients who are vegans who've had heart attacks. I've had patients who've had heart attacks in the middle of their greatest tennis game ever. Very active. You look at them, they, they don't look like heart disease people. So why? So why? So, you know, we, we know that even within the subgroups of cholesterol, we know there's, there, there's sub, further subgroups. So not all, LDL is equally bad, right? We've got the VLDL, the very low density. Not all good cholesterol is the same. There's now some evidence that suggests some HDL, so some of your good cholesterol is non-functioning HDL. So on You're the typical blood test screen we take, <laughs> you know, it all looks the same. But but you know, and and some of these are as postulations. You know, we're trying to figure out why it is that these people who have great looking numbers, um, you know, everybody's. Every body is put together a little bit different. So the numbers that are my numbers might be okay for me and the way my body works, but those same exact numbers might not be okay. So it's a little bit trial and error. So I do understand completely where your doc's coming from because that is the guidelines. Use of the calcium score, uh, I I think in someone who's never had anything happen to them before, it's not unreasonable. You know, but only if the score is zero. Because only if the score is zero. Because after that, score of two hundred, you're like, uh, oh, yeah. And now what do we do? We probably go with the medication, you know? Right, right. So, you know, everybody knows someone whose grandmother lived to 98 and smoked cigarettes and ate bacon every day of her life. And, you know, I wish I could be that person. Most of us are not. So the best the, the best that the rest of us can do is try and try and, and, and follow what we know, which, as we said, is a moving target. But what we know would, would recommend, you know, would medication. suggest the medications. Okay. Absolutely. Now, let's sort of twist this around again and say out of those people that you see in the hospital who have had heart attacks, 
are a lot of them taking their medication regularly, taking their specifically cholesterol medicine regularly? Sure. Um, like how good is it really doing for them? It's doing well. It's, it's doing, doing well. You well. know, if we if we could show, you know, some charts, you can see in the era of medicine pre-statin versus post-statin, the number of deaths from heart attack, the number of repeat heart attacks. Now, along with the statins, you have better technologies for stintings and the type of stints. But, um, but yeah, you can definitely see a, a delineation in life before there were statins and life there were after. And we know on, as a population base, our heart cardiac patients do better. There's less heart attacks. There's less repeat heart attacks. Does that mean you, you know, me specifically? That's a problem with, with, with uh, population numbers. You're looking at a population. So generally, yes, people do better with the cholesterol medicines. And yet we, we meaning patients, right. often fear them because of potential side effects. But what you're saying is if you've got a risk high enough, Try it. Now, if you have one of those side effects, if something happens, you can stop it later. Say, I tried it. But if you're in that higher risk category and maybe you do a calcium score, maybe you don't, and your LDL is like 200, Mm -hmm. you're going to reduce your risk. And it's so hard because people go, but then how do I know if I'm not having a heart attack? Well, because you're not having the heart attack. But, But it's a hard thing. It's like preventative stuff is really hard to measure. Absolutely. But from what you see, you see people who have heart attacks. They're vegetarian. They're vegan. They're not. They're on medicine. They're not. But those on medication regularly, a little less of a chance that they're going to come in again and again. So there's a benefit. All right. I want to talk with Mike from Kaneohe quickly. Mike, hello. Welcome to Uh, The Body Show. Aloha. Good to talk to you, Kathy. And I have a question. My understanding from what I've read is that artificially changing your lipid profile with medication is not as effective as having a naturally good cholesterol profile, even if you're blessed with good genetics or by diet and exercise. Interesting. Um, Interesting. So you're saying that if you make the numbers look good with medicine, it's not as good as if you always had good numbers. Right. Right. That's my understanding. Well, and that's a good point. comment on that. Yeah. I mean, if you're genetically blessed and you have fabulous numbers, are you in general healthier than somebody who has to get there with medicine? I would think I would think that would be true. What do you think, Dr. Vassar? Um, you know, in part, but we do know that there are other pleiotrophic effects of the lipid medicines. And so, uh, so, so yes. And again, that's why all guidelines start with lifestyle modification. So if you can naturally get your numbers to where they need to be, 100%, there's, there's no reason to start medicines. Um, again, in your, if you live in that primary prevention camp, if you live in that camp where you've had a cluster, you've had a heart attack, you've had a stroke, you've had something showing that wherever your numbers are, they're too high for your body, then, then that's a different conversation because we, we, we don't really have great lifestyle modifications that have been proven to be as effective in reducing repeat repeat problems. Um, so we know that there's sort of a calming effect that statins have on arteries. So when someone has had a heart, had a heart attack, we start them on the highest dose that they can tolerate because we know, especially in the immediate, you know, first one month period, that reduces your chance of having a heart attack. And it's doing something beyond the actual numbers because clearly in your first week of having taking a statin, your numbers aren't going to change that much. But we do know that in the short term, those those, those statins do other things that help prevent heart repeat heart attacks. So if somebody has a heart attack and they're in the hospital, are they more likely to have a secondary one within a month or so? 
Yeah, that's that's the highest risk period. That is your high risk. You know, period. those first thirty days, super high risk period. Um, Which is why you said we give the highest dose of statins. So I often see people come from the hospital. They see me in my office, and they're on Lipitor eighty milligrams. They're on you know Zocor eighty milligrams, whatever it is. And I'm like, wow, that's a really high dose. And let's check your cholesterol. And we check it, and I'm like, wow, it's super low now. Why are you on this high dose? But the real reason is because there's other good stuff it does to prevent another heart attack in the high-risk period. Exactly. And and that's why the new guidelines do not follow the numbers, which is a little frustrating, both as a practitioner and on a patient side. You know, you started this medication, and unlike a blood pressure, you follow, you watch it go down. It's very rewarding. You start this cholesterol medicine, and we suddenly stop caring what the numbers are because we just want to see you on the highest dose that, that you can tolerate. So, And again, you know, it's so interesting because five years ago, that's not how we did it. And right. now that's how we right. do it. And now they're also looking at, do we go back to doing the measurements? Should we do that? Are enough people on the dose that they need? And maybe they are, maybe they're not. But if they're not, how do we encourage them to go on the dose that their body seems to respond best to? You know, I feel like I've learned a lot about cholesterol in general. And it's not just cholesterol. So what are if you look at the people that you see, and we've got about, you know, two or three minutes left, what are some of the reasons that people would have a heart attack with normal cholesterol? Is it the diabetes, the blood pressure, the stress, some freaky thing we've never discovered? Why would somebody with good cholesterol, a fairly good diet, and healthy have a heart attack? And what do we do about – I mean, I guess that's not the majority – but what, you know, I thought yeah. I'd be happy if I had all those good things. For sure. That, that, that isn't the majority. Um, the vast majority of my patients have, have done a good job to earn their disease in some, some manner. That's a good way so. to put it. They've done a good job to earn their disease. Okay. All but, right. Uh, we know there are, you talking to me. <laughs> we know there are hormonal effects, okay. you know, um, for younger women, um, women on birth control are at a higher risk slightly than women who are not, um, we know that there's other, you know, if you're a smoker, the changes that each cigarette does to your body um, that puts you at higher risk to have a heart attack in that, what is it, the two hours following a cigarette, you're at higher risk of having a heart attack. Uh, same with blood pressure. Even if you have, quote unquote, white coat hypertension, uh, we know that those folks are at higher risk for cardiovascular uh, compl- complications. So, you know, it's 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 unfortunately not just about the cholesterol number. It's about how, what your body is doing with everything that's going on with it. And stress, you know, fortunately, stress creates an inflammatory cascade and stress in and of itself can, can put you at risk. Great. We're going to end that on stress is going to put me at risk. And now I'm stressed about trying not to be stressed <laughs> to put myself at risk. All right. Well, again, I want to thank you, Dr. Vassar, for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. I know you're taking care of folks fabulously at Queens Medical Center and helping those folks once they've had a heart attack to never have another one. I don't think there's anybody who you've ever admitted who said, eh, it wasn't so bad. I'd do that again. No. So, Nobody you know. wants to see me again. No. You know, unfortunately, you're so nice. And we'd love to have you on again, but maybe not be your patient. Okay. Only because that would mean we'd have to have a heart attack. Exactly. All right. Well, if you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. I posted a little article on ways to reduce your cholesterol, and that might be interesting for a lot of us. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Bethan Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week. We're going to be doing our last part of the heart series. We'll see you Monday on The Body Show.